I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... If we can get everybody who's thinking about it, plus everybody who wants it, we will get to, you know, well over 85 90% threshold that we would really need to kind of put this thing out. Overall, coronavirus cases are trending down. Vaccine rollout is now in its fifth month. We talked to the state health officer about how Mississippi is faring in its year-long fight against COVID-19. Plus, migrant workers profoundly affected by the ICE raid of 2019 are calling on action from the Biden administration. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Vaccines for COVID-19 have been available to all Mississippi residents 18 and over for more than three weeks now, but the effort to educate and encourage vaccination has been a five-month endeavor for the Department of Health. Still, despite being one of only a few states to offer widened availability, the rate of Mississippians receiving at least one dose is below the national average. About one in every four Mississippi residents have gotten one shot, a rate that falls eight point below the national average of 33%. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says hesitancy and access have been the two most significant challenges in getting the state to the roughly 80% rate needed to reach a level of herd immunity. In part one of our conversation, we discuss vaccine hesitancy, access, the question of booster shots. There are certainly pockets of under-immunized folks across the state and, and, you know, uh, whether it's black communities, uh, predominantly white communities, um, all levels of income, and, and they require different strategies. Although we've made great strides within the African-American population, we still have work to do. And still, when I talk to some people, we still see some reluctance, and the message hasn't reached everyone. So the same thing we've been doing, we do need to reinforce and push even harder to make sure that we, we penetrate into areas so people understand the true value of the vaccine and um, understand that, yes, it is, it is, it is for you. It's uh, the best thing for your health and your family, and it's going to be the best thing for your long-term prosperity. 
um, the messaging for other populations, especially more rural areas uh, where there um, may be different concerns, is going to require a different set of tactics. I know you have a program where you're asking communities or organizations to reach a sect of people, and then the health department will set up a vaccine time to come in and take care of it. Have you started that program, and if so, is it working? Yes, we have kicked it off, and, and I think it's going to be extremely successful. We have set up a, a, a program right now where our partners are primarily the community health centers, and they will be the vaccinators, and they're on a basically a subgrant with us, and so we reimburse them to do the work. And uh, and then we find different churches, maybe a small town that wants to do event. Uh, we will set that up, and I'm, I'm regularly ordering vaccines for these events. So if you have a um, a community, or if you are you know a group, a church, a social organization, maybe it's a sorority, and you want to do a vaccine event, uh, please call the hotline, and they will direct you to the health equity office to set up one of these events. We've just learned on a national level, there's a new group of those uh, with vaccine hesitancy, and that's older people, perhaps surprisingly, because they were first eligible to get the vaccine. In fact, 23% of those 75 and older have not been vaccinated. Uh, I don't know why the hesitancy has begun now, but have you found this to be the case in Mississippi? You know, there's, there's multiple components to that. And we're, we're approaching 70% for our 75 and older folks. And what we're seeing is those who are more mobile, um, those who are more savvy um, are going to get vaccinated. We know there's a subset of the population who are waiting to get it at their doctor's office, and so we're trying to make sure that we have the vaccine distributed as broadly as possible so that when you go to the doctor's office or maybe you have to go to the urgent care clinic, there's a vaccine there waiting for you, and we can go ahead and take care of you right then. Another part of it's going to be people who are homebound. And so we're aggressively working a plan to get more and more vaccine out to people who are homebound, both through NSDH resources and partners. And then there are some people who are genuinely reticent to get the vaccine. And so that's going to take a different communication strategy and education strategy to make sure I mean, if you're over 65, um, your risk of mortality from uh, COVID is about 10% of those diagnosed. It, it's substantial. And that doesn't even speak to the much more folks who go through a miserable hospitalization. Um, this is a great ticket out of the COVID pandemic. I don't want to keep harping on hesitancy, but I do want to I do want to conclude that part of it by saying there are people in Mississippi we all know who will not, no matter what, get the vaccine. Does that mean that continued spread is inevitable? There will be some folks who won't get vaccinated. We we identified that. But in my personal conversations um, and sometimes these sort of qualitative assessments are super useful to don't want it right now, but are thinking about it. We have a lot of people who are sort of like on that sort of contemplative sort of phase. And we really, the people who are, who are dead set against it, we understand. Um, but if we can get everybody who's thinking about it, plus everybody who wants it, we will get to, you know, well over 85, 90% threshold that we would really need to kind of put this thing out. The vaccines may lose their potency within six months. If people need to be vaccinated every six months, would there be a change in the makeup of the vaccines themselves? So maybe one shot would be appropriate or, or how do you see that moving forward? Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's talking about a glass 90% full or a glass 10% empty. <laughs> um, we're seeing that most of the folks who get the vaccine have really robust immunity uh, six months after the shot. And it looks like it's going to go on for a year or more. 
Um, and that's just for mostly from antibody studies. But we know that people have broad immunity that goes beyond antibodies. So we really we feel really good that the vaccine is actually going to give you protection, you know, for a long time. So um, I, right now, I don't see anyone needing a booster unless we get a, a bizarre variant that sort of undermines the utility of the vaccine. Um, but the vaccines look strong, and um, we do think that the the immunity is going to persist, you know, well beyond six months for the vast majority of people. Data from the Department of Health indicates 54% of Mississippi residents 75 and older and 52% of those 65 and older have been fully vaccinated. Coming up after the break... Uh, Public health, um, for a whole lot of reasons, has been way underfunded for decades. And hopefully we can use this funding to not only meet this challenge, but prepare for the next one, because another one's coming. It always is. We continue our conversation with State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. During the winter wave of coronavirus cases and deaths, residents in long-term care facilities were especially hard hit. The number of outbreaks in those facilities reached their highest points in January, right when vaccine distribution began in the state. Now, three months later, outbreaks and deaths within that group have declined significantly. We pick up our conversation with State Health Office, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs discussing the vaccine effort in long-term care facilities and how a recent health grant from the CDC can help Mississippi continue its fight against COVID-19. Deaths have dropped in long-term care facilities. And early on, I know that health care workers, especially those who work in long-term care facilities, were hesitant about getting the vaccine. Now, have deaths dropped because those workers have been vaccinated or the residents have been vaccinated or a combination of both? It's probably a combination of both. But by and large, we've seen very robust uptake in the residents. And if you had to consider which factors are going to be most impactful, it's going to be uh, within the residents. And then we also, you know, basically, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And with less transmission, less people have COVID and they're less likely to spread it. So it's a positive feedback cycle that we need to really engage aggressively. And it just takes everybody getting their shot. How has the department reached Mississippians who are dealing with mental health issues, whether they're in a facility or a home regarding vaccinations. Um, what are some of the procedures for getting mental health facility residents vaccinated? So we are working with the Department of Mental Health, and and um, they have been able to vaccinate some of the folks where they are. We are they are um, coordinating some efforts um, with the um, the local you know regional community mental health centers have been working to make sure that their homebound folks are getting vaccinated. Usually through the usually through the existing mechanisms that we have, um, we hope to be able to offer vaccine on site at these community mental health centers and other locations. So we are actively pursuing not only trying to make sure that they're linked to care, 
but there's vaccine available where they where they actually get their services. Mississippi has received nearly $30 million from the CDC through the American Rescue Plan. Will the Department of Health determine how that money is spent, and what are the priorities with that? There are well-defined objectives within that grant, and a lot of it is the same sort of stuff we're doing, but it will just help us sort of bring it to scale. A lot of it's going to be data integrity, making sure that we have good awareness of where our immunization gaps are. There's going to be a big section of engaging partners to make sure that we make vaccine available, like the same kind of stuff we're doing now, but it'll help us ramp it up even more so that people can get vaccine where they are. There is a big section making sure that we're looking at at equity issues, wherever those may be. There's uh, room for communications, uh, education, um, and then, and, and basically, you know, rebuilding some of our internal capacity to make sure that the immunization program is as effective as it can be. This, this is very good timing for the health department. Uh, public health, um, for a whole lot of reasons, has been way underfunded for decades. And hopefully we can use this funding to not only meet this challenge, but prepare for the next one, because another one's coming. It always is. Could that be people have to be vaccinated within a certain amount of time? Like, do they need to be, does everybody need to be vaccinated by June? Does the risk increase of spreading if people aren't vaccinated now rather than later? Yeah, now's the time. I mean, now is the perfect time because transmission's low. It's an opportunity to get ahead of it. And we know that this risk isn't going away. And one of the things that's in the mix that's very concerning is the variants. Although we haven't seen much of the variant here, about 8% of the cases we've seen so far in Mississippi are the UK variant. Other states are seeing like a majority of their cases. And we know it's more infectious and it also looks like it might be more deadly. So, and we know the vaccine works. So this is the chance not only to take care of the previous wave and make sure we don't have those going on, but also it's a preemptive strategy to deal with the coming surge of potential variants. And that was my next question about the U.K. variant. Uh, is it known whether all three vaccinations that are available, Moderna, Pfizer and J&J, are they all uh, effective against that variant? It depends on which vaccine and which variant. So far, it looks like the the Pfizer vaccine, which they've studied mostly, looks like it's pretty strong for, for all of them, all the ones that are seen in the United States, the, the South Africa, the U.K., and the California variants. If we look at um, Johnson & Johnson, it may have some diminished efficacy against the South African variant, but it does have some retained activity. So basically, they all look really strong right now, and if you get the vaccines that we have now, they look like they're going to be really potent against the variants that may come down the road. The vaccines may lose their potency within six months. If people need to be vaccinated every six months, would there be a change in the makeup of the vaccines themselves? So maybe one shot would be appropriate? Or, or how do you see that moving forward? Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's talking about a glass 90% full or a glass 10% empty. <laughs> um, we're seeing that most of the folks who get the vaccine have really robust immunity uh, six months after the shot, and it looks like it's going to go on for a year or more. Um, and that's just for mostly from antibody studies. But we know that people have broad immunity that goes beyond antibodies. So we really we feel really good that the vaccine is actually going to give you protection, you know, for a long time. So um, I, right now, I don't see anyone needing a booster unless we get a, a bizarre variant that sort of undermines the utility of the vaccine. Um, but the vaccines look strong, and um, we do think that the the immunity is going to persist, you know, well beyond six months for the vast majority of people. 
State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs. Thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. Thank you. During the extensive fight against the coronavirus and throughout statewide testing and vaccination efforts, the Department of Health is also tasked with developing Mississippi's medical marijuana program. Voters in the Magnolia State overwhelmingly approved medical marijuana through a ballot initiative during the 2020 election. Now the program is mere months away from coming to fruition. Dr. Dobbs says as things progress, information is made available on the Department of Health website. We're still committed to meeting our constitutionally mandated deadlines. We're having regular meetings looking over the different, different regulations. And if people want to see what we're, what we're reviewing, if they want to see um, recorded versions of our public meetings, please go to the State Department of Health Medical Marijuana page. Coming up, migrant workers profoundly affected by the ICE raid of 2019 are calling on action from the Biden administration. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Advocates for immigrant workers in Mississippi are calling on the Biden administration to overturn policies that target undocumented immigrant communities. They say the president can start by protecting those affected by the 2019 ICE raids. Yesterday, those advocates gathered outside the Department of Labor's Capital City office to deliver a letter to the Wage and Hour Division, urging the Biden administration to create protections for immigrant workers. Vidi Bomzi, an attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center, tells our Kobe Vance they're calling for policy reforms that shield migrant families, including those with deep roots in their community. Personally, I'm the child of immigrants. I'm a first-generation American. I was born here, um, but my parents immigrated here in the 80s. And I can tell you more than anything that immigrants work hard. They want to be a part of their community. And a lot of our fellow Mississippians probably have no idea how many immigrants actually live near them, work with them, and the amount of... um, what they bring to communities goes far beyond the idea of making an input economically. Immigrants come here, they bring culture, they bring values, and they become real parts of the community. And frankly, the America that I want to live in is filled with immigrants. And it's filled with the ideas and the cultures and the values that immigrants would bring with them. And more so than anything, watch Hamilton. And just remember, immigrants get the job done. (laughs) And uh, going back to uh, this letter towards the Biden administration, um, you know, he, he... only took office a few weeks ago, uh, whereas look back, you say uh, President Trump, who was, uh, had very xenophobic policies put in place, uh, he was in office for four years. Um, is, is it too early for Biden to have made uh, the significant changes, or do you think now is the time to start beginning that process? Oh, it's absolutely not too early. I, you know, I think the first day of the administration, uh, January 20th, was, um, wasn't too soon. And, you know, I think President Biden understands that. Uh, President Biden did issue an order halting deportations for the first 100 days of his presidency. So President Biden knows that this work can be done quickly. 
and it should be done quickly. So there, it's never too soon to do the right thing, and I believe President Biden and the administration knows that. We've seen some uh, federal aid coming out of the uh, from the federal government over the past few weeks and for the past year, helping uh, helping residents around the country who have been uh, you know hurt by the coronavirus pandemic, be it financially. Um, what are, what are your, how is the equity going in terms of getting uh, getting assistance to immigrants uh, across the country as well as here in Mississippi? Sure. Um, so the COVID relief packages initially did not do much to um, work with mixed status families. Um, the most recent uh, relief package, I believe, does address uh, mixed status families, but the ultimate um, goal of any kind of federal relief has to recognize the fact that not everybody is a citizen. And um, just because you're not a citizen doesn't make you um, less entitled to relief from the government in a historic pandemic that none of us expected to happen. So we'd like to continue to see the federal government continue to support um, people with status, without status, mixed status families, things of that nature. So we're hoping the Biden administration will continue um, emphasizing and prioritizing our immigrant communities. We're a diverse place, and um, there's beauty in that. Vidi Bonsai is uh, an attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Vidi, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you very much. The letter was delivered to Audrey Hill, District Director of the Wage and Hour Division at the Department of Labor, who declined to comment on the letter. Advocates say undocumented immigrants are often paid less and work in unsafe conditions because reporting an employer could or could lead to their deportation. Lorena Quiroz is director of the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. She says a good first step in protecting immigrants is to issue permits for their protection. She also explains the specific case at the root of the letter to federal officials. The letter addresses, um, and it actually focuses on one case, and that's the death of Edgar Lopez that was murdered on his way back, um, Direct, directly related to Tom, Trump's hateful rhetoric, the um, workplace uh, abuse, the raids that resulted um, the gentleman was held in the, you know, in the detention center, deported, and he was separated from his family, and he was trying to come back, and he was murdered at the border. So we were lifting up that case um, and uh, asking for him to use his executive powers to undo some of those things. You know, we're awaiting this huge bill um, that we're not sure is going to pass in its, t- in its entirety. So we're making some very specific asks, and that's to bring our people back that were deported. That's part of undoing the harm. Some people were here for decades. They have land here. They have children here uh, to give permits to the people that were traumatized because the rates were a result of uh, the people in Morton organizing against these poultry workers. Our people need to um, receive their permit. Um, and um, also we're asking for uh, a pathway to citizenship. How much of a role do uh, immigrants play here in Mississippi, and why do we need to focus on protecting them? Do you eat chicken? Yeah. yeah. That, that was probably picked up by immigrants. So they have the, have you been where the immigrant folks pick up the chickens? So the chickens are running, and the clock starts ticking, and they have to pick up live chicken in their fingers. That's a skill. That's a skill. They have to run, and they have to pack it up and stock it up. Then they have to make sure that their feathers are off. Then they have to debone it. Then they have to make sure that the eggs um, receive their vaccine. 
That chicken on your plate was probably packed by one of our community members. Um, and, you know, that's same thing with the pines. Same thing if you go into the Delta. There's so much abuse of power in the Delta. You know, we have a lot of farmers that use immigrant labor. We are a huge, huge part of the economy. Um, and it's in everyday, everyday things. Um, and, you know, citizenships don't, citizens here don't realize, you know, that the role that we play in, in that. According to a 2019 U.S. Census survey, 2% of Mississippians are immigrants. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.